welcome back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. It's episode 138, and I'm joined on the line once again by my co-host, Taniki Pete. How are you tonight, Pete? Hey, what's up, Bruce and everyone watching? Thanks for coming back and talking with us today about all things Magic the Gathering. If you like what you're hearing, our content is at the Lotus Council website, lotuscouncil.com, and also circulating on various Discord servers. Thanks for having us. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, of course, folks, be sure to check out the show notes down below, and you can find out how to how to reach out to us, send us emails, or talk to us on Twitter, and all that good stuff. Yeah. All right, Bruce. What are we talking about to start here? We got. All right, our- we're gonna- we got, we got some garbage or grade up first. Um, everyone loves it. All right. So first off, I thought it'd be good if we evaluated one of the new battles from sure. um, the March of the Machine because we haven't really talked a lot about battles yet, and they seem pretty cool. And now that everyone's opened their pre-release kits and all that good stuff, people are starting to decide if they want to put them in their decks. So let's have a look at probably one of the those spicier ones. Um, we have, that's not what I was supposed to do in that at all. I'm going to put, I'm going to open this dock. There we go. All right. We have Invo- Invasion of Ikoria, which I think is a pretty spicy one. So on the front, you have, it's a battle siege, and it says green, green, and X. And then it says, as a reminder text, as a siege enters, choose an opponent to protect it. You and others can attack it. When it's defeated, exile it, then you cast it transformed. All right, so when Invasion of Ikoria enters the battlefield, search your library and or graveyard for a non-human creature card with mana value X or less and put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle. All right, and it has six defense loyalty on it. So similar to a Planeswalker, mm-hmm. if you're going to flip it, you have to remove, attack it and do damage to it and remove the, the defense counters from it. And it flips over into Xylortha Apex of Ikoria, which is an 8-8 legendary creature dinosaur and has reach. For each non-human creature you control, you may have that creature assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. So, Pete, what is your thought with this crazy new card type that we're getting with battles? So I've been drafting a little bit um, just to put some context into it. The battles are decent, but they're not in my opinion, that backbreaking, um, in limited, I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, in Commander, this one, in in particular, it seems decent, but I I feel like it's underwhelming for what it does and how much mana you have to put into it. Um, unless you have way a way to immediately like make it flip, um, it doesn't seem to me that good. Although Say you flip it and or you you play it, you bounce it back to hand somehow, and keep recasting it. Mm, oh, that's that's I hadn't thought of that one. That's a, that's an interesting so, way of looking so at. Like, it, sure. You you play like um, there's a few creatures out there. I think they're like two mana or four mana. They come in, you return a permanent you control to your hand. Um, yes. So you could you could flip the you could bring the battle back to hand and kind of like Rocco uh, Cabaretti where mm. uh, uh, p- people who play that card. They'll play like Tamir Sabretooth, so they'll like bounce the creature back to hand and yeah. recast it. Um, it's neat that it tutors for a non-human creature card, um, because you can easily like get a big hasty trample boy out there. Um, yes, but like a big dra- like a big dragon. I think I think I feel like this sort of card gets used yeah. on the front on the front side to go find a dragon, or right. you're a token deck and you're going to go get a crater hoof. 
That's that's not like yeah. this replaces this replaces court of calling or is court of calling no. number two? No, yeah, you can't replace a court of calling in a tokens deck. I think I I just think it's too good. This is well, just I agree, too- but yes, <laughs> I agree with you because the court of calling because court of calling is really nice attribute is that it's at instant speed where this is not. So, but at a mana cheaper and uh, you can go get that big crater hoof and put you put it to use. Um, you know, I think that you know for a lot of, for a lot of decks, this would serve the same purpose. Um, oh, I recognize. I... Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like, I'm not sure, just because. I mean, the card is new, but also, there's no real way to break it. Where like, yes, easier to cast an instant again. It's easier to bounce Rocco back to hand rather than try to kill this thing. Um, I don't really think the flip side of it is that good, in my opinion. Um, it's just too slow. Like well, if that eight, if that eight had haste or something or trample, then it would be good. Like Thorn Elemental um, mm-hmm. is the same sort of idea of a card that used to be really good and now isn't um, that much played, I guess, in our pods. So, so I'm sort of looking at the backside as not being so much of a creature that's going to do the attacking, but you're going to allow your other creatures to get in unblocked, and so. Um, you, I'm imagining this is going to have. It has a fairly high setup cost. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you're going to need to have a creature, a cre- number of creatures set up. But that's if you're a green based deck, you're looking to put creatures on the battlefield in most cases, anyways. So I don't think that's a particularly high bar to cross. Um, and then if you can flip this and turning it into, uh, it's essentially an enchantment that's going to allow your creatures just to rumble on through. To me, that feels like a pretty potent uh, upside for a card that if you can flip it incidentally because, you know, you let's imagine you you, you go get the Crater Hoof or whatever big thumper you want to get the, the turn before, you can get through, make some profitable attacks, and now this becomes something that you can attack and, and kill for advantage. Now you've got the ability to continue to attack with impunity and hopefully close out the game. If this card doesn't win you the game, you're not winning anyway. So that's <laughs> you're done. Because if they can if they can survive the the creature, which I'm sorry, the only way I'm playing this is I'm going to go find Creator Hoof. Or or a big dragon, I suppose, if I'm going to go find. But then you're burninating the table anyway. So that's great. Uh the backside I think is useful. Like you need to find a way to punch through to finish one one last person off. But if this takes another untapped step, forget it. You're like you're not winning the game anyway. So, um, I guess I per- personally, to me, I view this card as being pretty great. I would definitely be, be looking to play it in decks. Um, I know what sort of deck I want to play it in, as you could probably gather from what I'm talking about. But yeah. you know, to me, I think this is I've got a pretty clear plan of what I want to do with this, and I think that when I, you know, it, it has a pretty potent effect that I'd be looking to put into play. I guess if it didn't, if it just said like any creature, it'd be really good because you could even do it for three and pull out like Esper Sentinel or something. But Esper Sentinel's mm-hmm. a human. Um, I guess to be fair, you could also pull out like a like a Dockside, right? And ramp yes, out. Yes, you could. You could. Um, for four, which seems really good in a vacuum because Dockside normally is like you know two mana for like eight. So, um, I guess there's other ways. I feel like people are gonna figure out how to break this card. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm looking at it mm-hmm. at a like limited scope. But I feel like, because I wouldn't play the card personally, but that's my own bias. But I think some people will find a way to break it beyond just, you know, the typical crater hoof 
slam, yeah, yeah. slam, or um, or getting that big dumb like evasive creature that will smack someone in the face. I don't know. Yeah. Seems neat, you know. I like battles. I think they're cool. Um, overall, so yeah, I think they're pretty neat too. I'm I'm looking forward to there's a few of the. I'm looking at some of the uncommon ones, and I think maybe next week we should probably put an uncommon one on there. Like the mythic feels like it's probably gotten uh, some upside anyway. Um, and it will, will people will certainly try it out. But I think the real question is, are the uncommon ones going to hold their weight um, and and be played similarly? So anyway, we'll talk. Time will tell, and, and it's going to be worth some experimentation to find out. All right, what do we got for your pick tonight? This looks spicy. Huh, this card's old. Um, it actually got reprinted recently because they've been doing the like 30th anniversary secret layer stuff. Um, which we don't have to talk about that, but it's I know it's like oh, uh, this was in the 30th anniversary kit I got that I got at Christmas time. Yeah. So oh, okay. This, this thing is called. It's it's really interesting. It's it's a strange card. Um, I like these strange obscure cards. It's from Tempest, so it's very old. Um, it's actually, uh, oh, it's a four mana spirit. So it's three colorless and a blue. It has flying, and it has this strange effect that you tap it, it, and two untapped creatures you control, and you can return any permanent to its owner's hand. So, in a vacuum, it's not a great creature, right? It's a 1-4, mm. and it costs 4 mana. But the ability to sort of balance anything back to hand lands, um, if you're mean like I am. Um, and with a lot of the cards that allow you to untap creatures or untap everything every turn, um, this could be a control, a weird control bounce sort of effect that you could abuse easily, I think. Um, I was talking to Bruce before we started some of the potential like shenanigans with this card that I mean it, it runs in a specific list, right? It runs in a list that cares about tapping things down or tapping um thing like your your own things for value. So like it would fit in um a blue white deck that cares about stuff like that. Or the new um convoke sort of commander that they released in the new March commander deck might want this card as a cheap sort of weird removal spell but again not that strong i don't think it's like totally crazy again it's 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 limited because you need three creatures for the effect to take place yeah i mean so my my thought process of this gets kind of silly with you have like if you're doing isochron scepter dramatic reversal sort of things um intruder alarms another one that sort of goes kind of silly with this one you do some pretty um pretty yucky things with it um I mean, I think the card on at face value looks looks weak compared to what we're used to getting for four mana these days. Right. But I think the ability still has relevance. And I think the, the trick is, and you mentioned it last time, is you, you have a condition that you need to meet. And if you're going to if you're going to put this in your deck, you're really going to look to try and exploit that condition to really maximize this sort of card. So if you're putting this in your deck, your whole deck is predicated on tapping and untapping things for shenanigans purposes. So, um, you know, you're going to get, looking at cards that are going to go with it in a similar vein to create that sort of advantage. You're not just going to throw it in any old blue deck with some number of creatures and hope it gets there because it's going to be underwhelming. It's not statted to attack. 
You may not have creatures you're prepared to use to tap. You need to take the condition and exploit it to a maximum in order to really turn this card from being something that is ho-hum into being something that is tremendous. And your opponents are going to say, I can't deal with that thing. What's going on? So um, I think the card, I mean, whether we're talking about garbage or great, um, it obviously is very contextual, like many cards. Um, I think this would be a card that once you build it and you try to deploy it, you're going to hate yourself for doing it because your opponents are, are not going to have any fun. Um, so you, this is the sort of card if audience, you try it once and you demonstrate that you can do it and then you never do it again because your friends are going to hate you and they're going to say, can you please not come back to the table? We don't want to see that again. <laughs> for sure. That, that's, that's my take <laughs> on this card because like... I'm t- is uh, that's uh, the, I think there's only one way to play this card well, and that's to abuse it horrifically and make your opponents really be unhappy. Yeah, um, it's it's funny. Uh, it's funny. Like I, I don't think that I would run it now um, with what I've done in the past <laughs> with certain <laughs> tap down effects. Like there's um surge spanner, which is a famous one. It's a merfolk whenever it becomes tapped. Uh, pay two, you can bounce something back to hand. So Oppos- it's o- opposition is another one too. If people, yeah. if you can see people play opposition, this is in a similar vein. Tie spouts, tyrant is another one. Although it's like an eight drop, so it feels a little more fair. But like the decks that are looking to play tie spout, spout tyrant are also not playing it fairly. They're making infinite mana. And drawing their deck and casting a million things and putting all your permanents back in your hand and then winning the game. So, like it's it's all the same sort of vein of just deny your opponents the the ability to play any further by all their permanents get put back in their hand and they just get mad at you. Yeah. So, like, it's funny you say that about denying resources because our next segment is on. How do you expand your resources by playing a specific card type that we Absolutely. name in the community of Magic, the Dork? So, Bruce, you want to explain to the audience? Yeah. So, here's, in the vernacular of Magic players, the yeah. term Dork has a very sort of unique and, and particular term. So, the term Dork is a permanent, usually a creature, um, but sometimes vehicle. So, I don't want to always call it a creature, but usually a, a permanent of some sort creature or other or, or vehicle of some sort that creates mana to help you accelerate faster into the amount of mana that you would normally have based on the number of land drops you're allowed to make at that point in the game. So on your turn two, you would have played a land on turn one, you play a land on turn two, that would be the normal amount of mana you would be able to play. If you had been able to play a land or elves on turn one, now when you go to you play your land on turn two, you'd have three mana available to you instead of two. So you've gone, you've accelerated the into what your deck can able to is able to play. All right. So there's lots and lots of examples of dorks out there. Um, so some of them are better than others. Not all dorks are created equal. So we're talking things like Birds of Paradise, Lanor Elves, and Elvish Mystic are some of the most uh, obvious examples of uh, of dorks. Um, are there other dorks that you like that people might not have been familiar with there, Pete, that people, you know, might want examples of? And like like what would be an example of an artifact? Like I used you mentioned ve- you were the one who added vehicles. I can't think of too many vehicles that tap for mana. I was thinking yeah, there's a new one out there. It's a three two, a crew for one. 
and it's a three mana. It's not that great, but like Cultivator Caravan is a little bit better in terms of tapping for mana right away. But as long as it's crude, you can tap it for mana. Um, mm-hmm. which is neat. Um, in terms of like, like I think we've talked about this. We're gonna touch on this later. Um, just like we don't really play these cards much anymore. It's it's more so generating value over time rather than, uh, like paying for one additional mana that might do something, but then in seven or eight turns it doesn't do anything anymore. Um, I can't like the ones I could think of are the ones I just mentioned. Really, that that really yeah. one mana. So, well, so the, there are a few others, and we'll get to them in a second. Like, but most of them are found in green audience. Like, they're usually in green. Um, many of them are elves, but not always. Some of them are other creatures, but they're often in, or green or touching green, so green-white or green-red. Um, so Zhirtaw Druid comes to mind as being one that can be as a red-green. Uh, Fabro Elder is red-white or green-white. Um, sometimes they tap for off colors. You get like uh, a Elf of Deep Shadow or an Avis's Pilgrim that will tap for black or white instead of green. Um, Sometimes you'll get them that can tap for any color. So they're, they're, there's, they're coming in a whole bunch of different contexts that may or may not suit what your deck is doing. Um, we've also had to increasingly consider cards like Dockside Extortionist as being a mana dork because it generates an awful lot of mana um, through, by, through its end of the battlefield trigger that we really can't... If we, if we didn't include it, we wouldn't be doing our job. So Dockside Extortionist is absolutely um, a mana dork. Other cards do... Other t- colors do it too. Like, blue can often get them in... Uh, that create generic mana for, or colors mana for artifacts. Um, there's a, a number of creatures that will do that sort of effect. Weapon Craft. There's, like, one from Khan's Block that will tap for mana, and you can tutor up, like a bow or a something else that's not particularly exciting, but it could be useful. Um, so they exist in most of the colors. Um, I can't... Black has them, or usually, like, you're paying some sort of life to generate mana. Um, some some initiates and stuff, like some of the clerics from a long time ago will la- let you play into that. Or if we're just, like, we're literally taking the definition of creating mana, like Cryptcast is like the poster child it just makes it allows you to create bananas amounts of black mana i think the only color that really doesn't have a dork that i can think of is white um maybe audience if there's somebody out there that can think of a white creature that taps for mana let me know but i think in most cases white's just playing uh has ketchup and ketchup mechanics where you can go and get a planes and put it in your hand but it doesn't really tap for land Unless you really want to talk about Convoke cards and whatnot, but I don't think that's really what we're talking about today. All right, now, Pete, why do we play Mana Dorks? What do they allow us to do? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a few few things here. Um, the most important, I think, that everyone who plays the cards are looking for is to curve out quickly and play something faster than everyone else, um, like a turn before it would normally be played. So. Like getting to what the first three or four turns of a game, um, you can be explosive with how you handle things. Or if you're playing big spells um, that are impactful in some way, like instants that have an X cost or something, as an example, 
Um, you'd want to play some of these creatures probably or permanents to get there quicker. Um, and then using them uh, with like infinite mana loops to allow uh, abuse of these cards without you know them as creatures really. They're just being used as, as lands or mana. Mm -hmm. um, and then if they can't attack and block, most of them are not statted well enough to do so. But sometimes you can leverage a creature or two in combat. Um, well, yeah, as, I always, as I always maintain, at least a Manador can pick up a sword if you need to, right? So if you've got no, if you, if you you've got a sword of feast and famine on your battlefield and nothing else to pick it up, well, Elvish Mystic, time to go, my friend. Here's your sword. Go get him, my friend. So you can still they can still attack and block in most cases, um, which is got use. Um, and sometimes a speed bump is useful just to save you, you know, just enough damage so you can finish another opponent off elsewhere. So they are they have value as attackers and blockers, but just don't expect to get a lot of mileage from your attacks and blocks in most cases. Yeah. Um in terms of like creatures being easily removed too. Um oh. they they can get killed a billion different it's like a million ways to die, right? Yes, it's, uh, as, you know, it's one of those well, things. I think yeah. we all know that right now, magic is really like there was a time when creature removal was really quite poor. All right, like when Hero's Downfall was the preeminent black removal spell. Like that's three, that's murder. Like that's all it is. It's not. It's not a particularly good spell today by our, by most metrics. So Wizards has obviously gone and created a a, a paradigm where creature removal is plentiful and cheap. And so, as a result, creatures die. They die lots. Yeah. So your mana dorks, you play your mana dork, chances are it either dies to a board wipe or dies to some sort of sack effect that you never really intended. Like, how many times have you lost an elf to, like, a yeah. grave pact? Like, you're just yeah. sitting on the battlefield and, like, you have to sack permanent. You're like, well, elf dies. Yeah, and I mean... That's a good point, too, because I'm thinking about, like, how these cards have slowly been outclassed. So, like, whether Wayfair is really the only white card I can think of, that would be a dork. But even so, I don't even play it anymore because there's better white cards that catch up mana in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, or, like, I don't know if a dork is considered a 1-1 statted creature. I guess most of them are 1-1s, but... Well, sometimes they're two ones. Like I mean, there's a couple one, of two ones and threes, yeah, two ones, two threes, whatever. I I guess the only like there's only a few that I'm like, yeah, this goes in every green deck that I own, kind of deal. Um, but that's green for you, right? Like that's what green is known for as a color. We talked a little bit about the color pie last last time we were on the air, but um, I guess your your point about like not playing these as much, Bruce, when we started discussing this idea before putting it on the air um i think it's super valid like i've started to cut these slowly over time with certain decks that yeah. just don't yeah. yeah so uh, we'll get to that in a second um because i think we still worth our worth our discussion like what makes constitute a good dork because there are still darks that get played and what makes for a good dork that deserves a spot in our in our lists I sort of laid out some criteria in my mind that I'm looking for um, to be able to play them. So first off, I'm looking for creatures that generate more than one mana. So 
things that like if I play one mana for an Elvish Mystic and it makes me one mana, I'm not really excited by that. That to, that to me is a card that can be replaced um, with something else. I don't really care for it much. But cards that generate multiple mana, so like a Bloom Tender or a Dockside Extortionist, those those okay, yeah, that's good. I'll play that. Uh, creatures that have create multiple types of mana. So if your deck is a multicolored deck, three, you know, two, three, four colors, you probably could stand to have a Birds of Paradise or Noble Hierarch or something like that because you're going to need the mana requirements to cast your spells. Okay, fair enough. Um, looking for mana efficiency. So if it's, uh, I really want my my mana dorks to be able to be deployed very cheaply, um, or if they're not going to be che- like super cheap, like Fabro Elder is a really interesting case study. Because it's three mana, and in a three-color deck. So okay, well let's let's go back up. Set. Let's read Fabro Elder because I think there, there may be players who haven't played with it because it was printed in in uh, 2019, and there may be people who haven't played with it yet. So Fabro Elder is one blue, sorry, one green white for a creature tree folk druid has vigilance. Fabro Elder has plus one plus one for each color among permanents you control. So if you have permanents with three different colors, it's a three-three. Um, and then tap for each color among permanents you control, add one mana of that color. So you can make, if you have a three-color deck, Favoro Elder can be tapped for three mana. Now, if you tell me I get a 3-3 three, three that taps for three mana, I'm pretty in. So in a three-color deck, that's mana efficient. That's pretty efficient. A 3-3 three, three for three is pretty well statted. And then I can tap it for three mana. In a two-color deck, so a Slesnia deck, a green-white deck, this is a fail. Because it's a it's a two two for three mana, which is below below curve, and so no longer deemed to be efficient, and it only generates two mana, which I can do through other means. So, like Fabro Elder is an interesting example of how that efficiency curve sort of can waver. But I mean, most people are like, for instance, are looking to play their one mana El- Elvish Mystic or Lanor Elves or whatnot. So that's what they're looking for. Um, people have looking thing that cards have utility so if you have other utility outside of just creating mana great example here is death right shaman which often people consider to be a mana dork but also has really really pertinent text uh as you progress in the late stages of the game um to try and provide you with extra reach to burn somebody out or deal with stuff in the graveyard and then you do also have to ask what do their baseline stats look like often they're one mana one ones but sometimes you'll find a 2-1 or a 2-2, maybe even a 2-3 or something. And you have to ask yourself, is it worth your while to play them? So there was um, a green creature in a core set a number of years ago. Do you remember? A two and a green, taps for a green, and when it enters the battlefield, draws you a card. Do you remember that one there, Pete? Yeah, it reminds me of like... It's like Elvish Visionary meets Elvish Mystic. And I wonder what it was called. Elvish... There's an elf, I know that. I just don't remember. Elvish Visionary. Was that the one? No, not Elvish Visionary. Anyway, it's it's it was it was the sort of card that you would have to seriously look at it because it's a three mana two two. It draws you a card so it replaces itself. It makes a mana, like it tops for mana, so it's got relevance in that sense. You know, is it are the baseline stats enough for you? I don't know. And then the last sort of consideration I have is it some sort of ability that is really has no comparable effect. So um, I'll use an example here of like some like red creatures that make treasures. 
There aren't a ton of them that do it. So, for instance, like Magda. Magda's a really interesting effect because you tap a dwarf and you make a treasure. So if you have some number of dwarves in your deck, you could, you know, use Magda as, a, as an engine to draw quite a bit. Um, so Magda and Yaspera Sentinel were a great combination when they were in standard for exactly this reason. And so, and then you can use Magda for other abilities. So, yeah, just something to think about as you're going through. What are things that you might be looking for in a good dork? Do you really want to add to that, Pete, or is that sort of covers most of the basis for what constitutes a good dork? Yeah, I mean, I think with any consideration for determining if you need to play this or not, is will you like if you're not able to tap for mana, what does it do for you? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like for some reason, maybe it's not like it's not relevant to do anymore. Is there some other thing you could do with it? So like I another example I like to use with with like Birds of Paradise, which used to be like a premium ramp spell. It's still good and it's really good in CDH, but that's a different sort of format. We're not really talking about it tonight. Birds, I always clamp it after I can't use it anymore. Like I always yeah. draw two cards yeah. with it. And that basically becomes a draw two spell for me. Sack a creature mm -hmm. draw. Yeah. No, it's you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. Yeah, so it's, like, it's, it's, it's a fair point. Ask yourself. If humility or some other ability gets cast, rendering all my mana dorks ineffective, what can I? What else can I do with them? And so you're right. Like Birds of Paradise is a great target for a skull skull clamp. You can go and hopefully dig to find yourself answers. So that's a a really effective tool. That and like, um, I guess, what are you really ramping out for? Right? Like, mm -hmm. why why do you need to play that five mana spell on turn four? Um, why do, you, why do you need to like play that four mana spell on turn three? Like, I guess it's a matter of what is your deck doing? Like, do you even need the card? Like, do you just curve out naturally? Do do you need the extra mana? Is is it essential for you to win the game? Um, where like green wants to do that, right? Elves want to do that. They want to be as quickly and efficient as they can be. Um, so that's like an example where dorks are very valuable, but that's because they do something else, right? They get buffed because of their creature type. Um, they buff other creatures because they're on the battlefield at the same time um, in that in that way. So just my last little take is like, I guess we're getting creative with how we use our dorks um, and how we use our creatures to tap for mana. And this sort of fits into uh, the deck that you wanted to share, Bruce, that you had made with one of the new cards in the set. I'm excited for you to share this with the, with the audience. Yeah, so I mean, I... This is a, as a starting point. I'm not a big fan of mana dorks. I think the mana dorks are largely outmoded now, um, because because of the the way that removal interacts in the format these days. But Inga and yeah. Essica um, are um, are are interesting because the text on Inga and Essica turn them turn all your creatures into mana dorks. So let's read Inga and Essica. Two green blue for legendary creature human god. Interesting how that goes but anyway four four and it says creatures you control have vigilance and tap add one mana of any color spend this mana only to cast a creature spell and then it has additional text whenever you cast a creature spell of three or more mana from creatures was spent to cast it draw a card so this card turns your creatures into man all your creatures into mana dorks so this is a very heavy creature deck because you're looking to play a lot of creatures 
uh, to because you're going to turn them all into mana dorks in due course, and then uh, and then use the use the mana dorks as a way to generate card advantage. So there's some really big cards here that people may not remember. So I really think one of the highlights of this deck would be Alondra Skydreamer, which is whenever you draw your second card each turn, create a 2-2 blue drake. So this plays into exactly what Inga Nessica want to do. It makes creatures when you draw cards. So you tap your dorks, make mana, draw cards, Alondra triggers, makes more dudes to go and turn into more dorks. Um, Arasta does something similar. Um, is another key card. There's a lot of other really interesting cards. Chasm Skulker is another one where if they kill your Chasm Skulker, um, you make a lot of you're going to make a lot of tokens that are going to be all used to wait to, to ramp and cast lots of things. Um, lots of other interesting sort of cards in this in this list. So Gwenna is a is a natural um, example of a mana dork that is you know you know a higher statted but is probably worth playing. Um, and then you keep going down the list. And then your big bombs for you to finish this deck in this deck, you're, you're gonna play a Hallbreaker Horror. You've got a Jazzy Oracle of Archivos, which I think is an interesting card because I think you want to try and ramp into that sort of effect and do something silly. But uh, you have a coma. But the real sleeper in this deck, and the probably the hidden commander in this deck, is really Kinnon Bonder Prodigy. So this strategy is very similar to what Kinnon can do. So let's read Kinnon quickly, and you can see how Kinnon and uh, Inga and Essica sort of uh, synergize together very nicely to create the same sort of effect. So Kinnon is a green and a blue for a 2-2, legendary creature, human druid. Whenever you tap a non-land permanent, aka a dork, for mana, add one mana of any type that permanent can produce. And then five green, blue, look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a non-human creature card from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. You're going to produce tons of creatures, tons of dorks. Kin's going to allow you to take advantage of them. And then you're going to go find all the scary things in your deck, whether it's a Neza Hall, uh, a Coma, um, the Nyx Bloom Ancient would be positively terrifying. And from there, you're going to ride your giant pile of creatures to victory. Um, that's, that's the plan. Um, and uh, it looks like a pretty fun, pretty fun deck if you're into doing um, like tappy, untappy shenanigans on with, with your stuff. Yeah, I guess the only way to strengthen the deck would be to like um, give things haste and flash creatures in. Other than that, it doesn't seem to be like it's it'll it'll win quickly if it does end up ramping quickly. Um, and if yeah. it doesn't, then it doesn't. But I guess they're like different there's like a million different ways you could build this particular shell of a deck. Uh -huh. Um depending on okay, what's my focus? Do you want do I want to go wide? Do I want to make tokens? Do I want to make really big scary things come out really quickly? Um and do it that way. I guess you could even go combo like you said earlier, um untapping and tapping creatures and stuff like that to to generate value. Absolutely. It's just a value machine. You know, yeah. they they're just that 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 card is a value machine, and it's it's fun to see it as a commander deck, probably because it's a little bit different than this the typical. It's like it's it's like a restrictive card, where Kinnon is not Kinnon just goes crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, where like this is just kind of neat, and I've seen it actually in 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 um in 
uh, limited too. I saw it like in a draft and they smacked me with it. It was really cool the way right, they were yeah. to use uh, utilize the cord. Yeah, it's it's neat. You know, it's it's something that I was like, oh, this is neat, but like I'm not gonna play this card per se, like right now. But it seems like something that's interesting. So, you know, yeah, as it's it's definitely got some potential. Uh, my concern, and I'm gonna be very honest with the audience, that it's going to end up playing very much like a Kinnan deck because it's going because Inga and Essica go in such lockstep with what Kinnan wants to do anyway that the temptation is going to. To turn your Inga and Eska deck into really a Kinnan deck, which is bordering, which which is a CEDH deck. It's a well well known CEDH list, which is sort of where you want to play dorks anyway. Um, right. um, we, one of my big aversions to it is to, to to dorks is the fact that in a longer game you're going to find your dorks die. So I usually I usually play rocks or play additional lands into play. Well, this sort of deck's going to like turbo out like creatures. Uh, that Inga and Essica are then going to allow you to tap to cast crazy things, and Kinnan's going to allow you to go nuts. So, you know, that's my concern, that this is going to, you know, sneakily become um, a CEDH deck that is masquerading as a casual deck. So you may have to be somebody who is very conscious about how your deck is playing, and whether or not you've now produced something that is going to go faster than your playgroup is comfortable handling and either tailoring it to meet what your playgroup is going to need or just accepting you're going to go nuts, you're going to go CEDH mode and like convert this into a full-on CEDH crazy pants deck. So Can that's... I say something too? Oh, go ahead. Just mm-hmm. like thinking about that card, Inga and Anisika, as like a 99 card, it would be really cool if someone put that together with that gruel card that makes it so your mana dorks get like they get really big um mm. untap them so like i think i had talked about to, to you about this a while ago um but it was basically it's that one red green uh it's like it's hard to spell um <laughs> it's like a troll or something i don't know it's a legendary creature that says, like, if a creature's tapped, you can untap it. I forget what it says, but I was thinking, like, you take an, an old commander that used to be popular that's not used anymore, uh, Sorok, Dragon. Um, yeah, it's sort of Dragon Claw. Yeah, one of my favorite cards uh, from that set, and, you know, in Magic, I like the lore of the, of the card, too, but um, the card is, like, Basically, uh, you would just flash in your creatures, right? And then tap them for mana and draw cards with the Sika and Inga and make them large with the... Oh, Raga, Raga Draga, Gorkut boss. Oh, Raga Draga, yeah. All right, I don't know how to... Like, because he buffs your mana ability creatures. So Inga and Sika with that card is really cool because it... it Ra- Raga Draga makes your mana dorks valuable in an aggressive way. Asika makes them in a value way. So it's basically the two cards that I would think would make the ultimate mana dork into something useful. So let's read Raga Draga quickly. Just so, well. so Raga Draga, yeah. Gorgut's boss, two red green for a 4 4 legend creature, human boar. Each creature you control with a mana ability gets plus two plus two. Whenever a creature you control with a mana ability attacks, untap it. And then whenever you cast a spell, if at least seven mana was spent to cast it, untap target creature. It gets plus seven, plus seven against trample until end of turn. 
So yeah, if you're playing some sort of team or list where you can put uh, Inga and Essica and Raga Draga into your deck, you could do some silly things and uh, have a lot of fun with uh, something kind of goofy. For sure. I might have to brew you a list and send it to you, um, Bruce. Very, well, very... more importantly, more importantly, we have to just put it up for the audience to enjoy. Yes, so we're we're going we're going next level evolved here. So Inga and Essica evolves <laughs> into Raga Draga, and uh, we we go party time with uh, the teamer list. Instead yeah. of uh, instead of another simic list, yet another simic list. <laughs> yeah, it's something to consider. Um, when when you when you play a dork, you know that that how do we expand the value? And I think this deck proves that. And yeah, this is this has been fun. <laughs> yeah. So audience, from a standpoint of budget, this list is runs about three hundred dollars. You obviously you can run it a lot more expensively, but some of the expensive pieces in here that like are that are going to keep the price high. Like Thrasios is just expensive. Seaborn Muses are just expensive. Uh, Nyx Bloom Ancient is just an expensive card. So is Coma. So is Kinnon. So is uh, Alondra. Alondra only because she only appears in that Jumpstart set. But most of the other cards, like Heroic Intervention, is always expensive because every green deck wants it. But there's a lot of other cards in here that aren't particularly going to break the bank. Um, and yet you can lean on instead of to try and get you you know, interesting effects. So the mana base is not particularly expensive. We're not playing, uh, there's no, no OG dual lands. I don't even think I'm running the, the shock land. No, no shock. Just, um, I am still surprised. You know what surprises me still to this day? That Dream Root Cascade with the, the cycle from um, Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt, which is a very good land cycle, is as expensive as it is. So, like the ones that come into play untapped, if you have to control two or more lands, it's a very good cycle. And like yeah. this is a, it's allegedly a a twelve dollar card according to, like, Moxfield here. So anyway, enough said. Three hundred dollars for a deck gets you in the door playing something fun with your friends on a Saturday night, playing you know while you're playing having beers or something, having fun, um, or water, you know whatever. And uh, you can tappy tappy your your mana dorks and. Uh, have some fun with Inga and Essica. So there we go, folks. Um, give it a look, and if you want to build it, let us know. All right. Should we wrap up, my friend? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. so we're going to wrap up this week's show. That's a good spot to leave it. We've had a good talk about dorks. Um, if you want to reach out to us, uh, again, please refer to the show notes. Uh, you can email us on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. You can find our show wherever you enjoy your favorite uh, podcast content. Uh, and you can find our decks on Moxfield. So please go look there if you're interested in seeing all of our lists. Uh, that's pretty much it for this week. Um, stay tuned for more good stuff with lots of lots of exciting stuff coming now that Marshall's Machine is here. Uh, they, they previewed, I think, all of Aftermath today just so that we'll see what other new fancy things come out for us to play with real soon. Um, I'm sure Lord of the Rings previews are coming out soon too. So there's lots of great cards to talk about and lots of interesting things happening in magic. So until then, everybody take care, have yourself a good week, have fun, uh, enjoy playing magic wherever you get to do it. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye everybody. Yeah. Um, if anyone is able to make a viable white black deck in uh, draft, let me know. I'm, I need help. So thanks. <laughs> yeah. Peace. Woo! Let's go! <laughs>